0: I'm watching clips of grainy CCTV footage taken in the Italian city of Prato. They show men, presumed to be Chinese mafia gangsters, wielding batons, beating up people. One man smashes a bottle on someone else's head, another bashes his victim with a chair. In what looks to be a Chinese-run store, they destroy computer equipment. These are scenes of violence and sheer intimidation.
1: As you can see from the short video documentary that we published, um, they used to to beat their competitors and, in some cases, probably also to shoot them and to kill them.
0: In today's episode, we peer into the shadows of the Chinese underworld in Europe. I'm Timothy Large from the International Press Institute in Vienna, and this is the IJ4EU podcast. Perhaps I've been watching too many Godfather movies, but when I think of organized crime in Italy, I invariably think of the Italian mafia, the Cosa Nostra, the Sicilian mafia, or more recently, the Ndrangheta. So it comes as a bit of a surprise to learn that a Tuscan city, just a stone's throw away from Florence, is home to the largest Chinese mafia group in Europe. For the past few months, a cross-border team of journalists from Italy, Germany, and Spain, has been investigating the underground activities of this increasingly powerful group with support from IPI's Investigative Journalism for Europe Fund, or IJ4EU. Today, I'm delighted to speak with Davide Del Monte, an Italian journalist who led that investigation. Davide is founder and president of Infonodes, a nonprofit that seeks to promote an open and fair society through public interest journalism. Welcome to the show,
1: Davide. Great to have you here. Thank you, Tim, and I'm happy to be here.
0: Now for people like me who don't know much about the Chinese Mafia in Europe, could you paint a general picture of the kinds of criminal activities that you've uncovered?
1: Yeah, when we started to investigate the Italian case that, as you already said, started in Prato. It's a town or a city close to Florence, where there is a huge Chinese community. We understood for the first time the dimension of the phenomenon, of the criminal phenomenon, because we could see that more than 100 people were indicted by the public prosecutor, so a large number of people. And studying the papers from the case in court, we could see that the allegations were made for uh, drug dealing, prostitutions, uh, violent crimes, And so we decided to go in depth and to try to understand how a so powerful and rich criminal organization could uh, grow so fast and so quickly in our country without any basically public recognition by other media or by other law enforcement agencies. And uh, what we found out, and that's why. Uh, we decided to investigate more on this is that it was not just an Italian issue or Italian-based criminal organization working just uh, in Prato or in Italy, but uh, they were exploiting their business also in other European countries. And so this is the reason why we decided to start with a cross-border investigation. You say this has happened quite recently. What sort of
0: time frame are we talking about? When did the Chinese mafia start to gain a foothold in
1: Italy and other countries in Europe? Yeah, it's quite recent because the first phone tape we could analyze, the phone tape, of course, made by the Italian police, is from the twenty-three of April of 2013. The court case started in Italy in 2017. so. It's uh, something quite recent, but the Chinese community is operating in Prato since several years now, I would say from the 90s, from 1990, 1990s, so more than 30 or 40 years. Probably they used this uh, long time in order to create uh, not just illicit business and then illicit business, but also to create uh, and political connection on the territory. Indeed, one of the most intriguing clue that we find out during the investigation are the strong relations that this criminal group still have with important public officers in China. So they could create not just an old-style mafia <laughs> copying the Italian way, to, to establish a criminal organization, but to create a mix of uh, violent organization with strong public relations, and that's something uh, new. It's something uh, very scary.
0: So, let me get this straight. Are you saying the criminal organizations on the ground in Europe actually have the backing of officials
1: in Beijing? We don't know if they are backed from Beijing, but we know for sure that they have contact in Beijing. Because for example, what we also explore in our investigation is that the leader of this uh, criminal group in Italy, Zhang Naizong, met in 2017 with an important Chinese state delegation where also the vice premier of China, Makai, was present. So we are talking uh, about uh, very high profile relationship with the Chinese government, Um, we are not able to say now if the Chinese official know about the illicit uh, business of this man, but we can say for sure that they knew and they met this uh, Chinese man in Italy.
0: Presumably, this illicit business is taking place alongside legitimate businesses. What's the relationship between their underworld activities and any legal above-board activities?
1: Yeah, basically, this uh, Chinese organization used the basic scheme, I would say the standard scheme of any mafia. They collected a lot of money, through illicit businesses like drug dealing, prostitution, and probably also fake certificates to get other Chinese people into Europe. And then they cleaned this money through illicit business, bars, uh, restaurants, but uh, especially in the logistic and transport sector. One of the main companies, that the law enforcement and our investigation looked at is called Anda Trasporti. That means Anda Transportation, and it's basically one of the most important transportation uh, companies in Europe. They have uh, different headquarters, not just in Italy but also in Spain. And we investigated also that uh, part of of the case, and uh, they could. Uh, uh, reach a significant pie of the of the market in the last years, also using violence against other companies in the sector. As you can see from the short video documentary that we published, they used to to beat their <laughs> competitors, and in some cases probably also to shoot them and to kill them. the, the case. Indeed, born in Germany, not in Italy, when a Chinese man was shot down on the ground during a shooting between the two Chinese different groups and the German law enforcement agency discovered that the shooter came from Italy, from Prato, and informed the police in Prato. And here is the start then of the phone tapping and the investigation by the Italian police.
0: And how does the Chinese mafia manage to coexist with the much more entrenched Italian mafia? Are they living in harmony, or are they at each other's throats? Have they divvied up their spheres of influence, or are we seeing a war break out between the different criminal groups?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. We have to investigate this side that is very intriguing, this side of the case that I would say that if you are not collaborating with other criminal organization, you are at war with them. So we couldn't see any major accident between different mafia groups in Italy, like Chinese against Camorra or a traditional Sicilian mafia. So it's probable that they basically agreed <laughs> on some business differentiation. For example. Uh, the traditional Italian mafia are not so much involved in transportation business, while this Chinese group is really and deeply involved in transportation and logistic. So it's probable, but uh, they need a lot more of investigation, that uh, there is a, what is called a pact by criminal organization uh, in order not to interfere each one with the business of the other ones.
0: Have the Chinese mafia limited their activities to the transport of Chinese goods, or does this apply to the transport and logistics of all kinds of goods across Europe?
1: Basically all kinds of transportation is managed by this Chinese criminal group. What is interesting of this sector is that when you move a lot of uh, transports, you can move basically everything. So you can fulfill transport van with toys and other goods from China, but you can use it also for transport uh, drugs or as men, women or uh, weapons, you basically can do everything you want. It's very important for a criminal organization to have the opportunity to move uh, licit and illicit goods through different uh, European countries. So. This is the reason why we think the, this group decided to invest so much money and resources in the transport sector. Because we want to connect different harbors in Europe, different warehouses and stock locations in Europe with their companies.
0: You mentioned transport of women and men. Have you found evidence of people trafficking or people smuggling?
1: Yes, particularly in Spain with the Toys case who started when the um, anti-corruption prosecutor office in Spain started to investigate these Chinese-owned transport companies for uh, tax evasion. Basically, the public prosecutor office in Spain estimated that the companies connected to these Chinese Mafia organization frauded the Spanish government for $99 million in, in VAT tax and $60.5 million in customs duties from 2011 to 2014. And when they started to investigate these tax frauds, basically, they also understood that they were not just evading or avoiding taxes but they were also involved in illicit and criminal transportation. They found, of course, drugs in one of their uh, warehouses in in, a place close to Madrid, where all the main and biggest warehouses are based. And so this is... One of the cases that allowed also us to connect the illicit businesses in Italy with the illicit businesses in Spain. I'd be interested to hear about the nuts
0: and bolts of this investigation, how you went about conducting it. How does an investigation like this work?
1: First of all, consider that we had to read (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of pages from the law enforcements that were investigating on this case and that then brought the case in court. So we started from the official documents, basically by the law enforcement. We highlighted all the main names of people and companies that uh, are involved for the public prosecutors. And then we used the common methods for an investigation. So we started to consult the business register in Italy and in Spain. In order to track how the companies and in order to identify if um, one person in Italy, for example, was also a shareholder of a Spanish company. And we find a lot of cases that connected people with companies. We have to say that it was very difficult because uh, we had to manage all this work with uh, the Chinese names that it's not easy because very often they also use not the real name, but uh, the, uh, some kind of Western names. So you have to also identify which uh, Western name match with the original Chinese name. And it's also difficult because, of course, the, the orthography of the names often changes for mistakes in different registers. For example, Zhang Naizong, that is the alleged boss of this organization, is uh, very often written in different ways uh, in the Italian reinforcement document, in the Spanish uh, reinforcement document, in the company's registered document. So we also had to double check also this, this information. And uh, this is uh, how we conducted the investigation. Then we had also our investigative team on the ground because we went to see and to take pictures also of the warehouse that uh, are under investigation in Braton and in Fuentabranda in Spain Uh, because we also want to to see, to have a a sort of real vision of their warehouses, of their people, of their means of transportation. And this then allowed us to also, to also produce the video documentary.
0: And what did you see in the warehouses?
1: Uh, (laughs) I I was suggested to see the documentary because, because it's difficult to explain, but because it's, they are very difficult places to understand because we are talking about towns or small cities build of warehouses. So we could see a lot of movement, of course, uh, movement of people, movement of vehicles. We could see in Spain a lot of abandoned or, or also ruined warehouses where there were expected to be functioning, but uh, instead they were clearly abandoned. Since we, I would say that we discovered an underworld Because uh, uh, it's something that uh, everyone should see, how these areas close to big and important cities in Italy, in Spain, but also I think in France and in Germany are functioning. They are a a world beside the world because they are basically, I think, underworld really describe the situation because they are close to our cities, to our schools, to our offices, but they are places where no man enters if uh, you have not a, a real interest in visiting them. So uh, I think that we also used a drone in order to capture images of these large areas, in particular in Prato. So you can also have the idea of the dimension of the warehouse. They are huge, really huge.
0: Of course, there are trials going on, and we have to be a little bit careful about what we say. But could you tell us what is at stake in these trials?
1: Yeah, basically there are two different cases, one in Spain, the emperor case, and one in Italy. They both uh, uh, involve more than 100 people indicted. In Italy and in Spain, and both the trial will start very soon. The Italian case will start in uh, April. What we expect is difficult to say because the public prosecutor in Italy is trying to indict them for uh, mafia organization. It's a crime to be recognized by a judge because uh, it implies uh, not just the evidence uh, of the criminal invest- of the criminal businesses, but also a mafia-style criminal business that it's very difficult to be recognized by a judge in Italy. We expect that the case in Italy will, will take at least one year and a half before to have a first sentences. And uh, we think that in Spain could be the same because the, the indictment in the emperor case It was formulated by the public prosecutor Rosa Rosa in January 2022, so at the beginning of this year. And yeah, we think we will have some more information and clue about the conclusion of, of these cases by the end of the year or at the beginning of 2023. It
0: strikes me that this is a very ambitious project with lots of different strands to it. What advice would you give to other journalists seeking to collaborate across borders on something like this? What lessons have you learned? What would you do differently next time?
1: Yeah, first of all, I would suggest to investigate the same criminal groups, also in in other countries, because we are sure that Italy and Spain are not the only European country where this criminal organization is working. We are quite sure about their involvement in business in Germany, in France and in Hungary. And we suppose that they tried to clean their dirty money in the transport business sector, almost in every European member state. So I would suggest to to have a look at our investigation and try to understand if something similar is happening also in other countries. And then what I would like to do with other partners in Europe is try to track what I said at the beginning of this talk with you and basically the relations of these criminal groups with governmental officials in Beijing. That's I think it's the most interesting part of our investigation. Because more than the dirty businesses and the violence and the criminal offenses, I would be really interested in trying to go in depth about their relationship with the Chinese government. It's very difficult for doing this. We will need someone based in China, basically helping us. But uh, if someone uh, from the network of your organization uh, wants to collaborate, we are uh, full open to any kind of support or just input to our investigation.
0: Best of luck. And I hope you can expand your investigation. Of course, we have coming up on the 31st of March and April the 1st, the annual ij for eu Uncovered Conference, which is in Berlin this year. That might be a good chance for investigative journalists to compare notes and perhaps forge future collaborations.
1: Yes, let's let's meet in Berlin for the next meeting. And if someone is interested in joining this investigation I is more than welcome.
0: In the meantime, thanks for telling us all about your investigation titled Chinese Underworld. People can see the links to your stories on the InfoNodes website as well as on the IJ4EU website. That's ij4eu.net. And I assume we'll be seeing more stories as the investigation unfolds. And can we expect a longer documentary in the future?
1: Yeah, it's it absolutely is uh, in our plan. Absolutely. I look forward to that.
0: Davide Del Monte, founder of InfoNodes, it's been a pleasure. Stay tuned for another episode of the IJ4EU podcast, where we look at the backstories to cross-border investigations with impact. Until then, take care and keep holding power to account.